Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 186, Finance Friday Edition, where we interview Sammy and talk about student loan repayment plans, investing, and of course, real estate. That just opened my eyes to like, you know, just the idea that you could have such a high savings rate. And I think before I was like, well, why would I have such a high savings rate? Because like, do I want like a really shiny coffin or something? And then after finding fire, I'm like, no, like this is all this savings is actually time. This is time that, you know, if for some reason, you know, I didn't want to work, I wouldn't have to work. And that really changed my perspective. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me as always is my award-winning Robert De Niro impressionist co-host, Scott Trench. You know, three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead. (laughs) Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate or start your own business, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so that you can launch yourself towards those dreams. Today, we're sitting down with Sammy, a physician's assistant who lives in a rather expensive area of the world, the Bay Area. She's sitting on quite the student loan balance, and she has a good plan for paying them back, which is uh, really good. Because when I first saw her balance of $166,000 in student loan debt, I thought, oh my goodness, we have to talk about this. Today was an episode of a lot of surprises. Hey, I live in the Bay Area. But I live with my parents, which helps me offset a lot of those costs. I earn a good income, but I've got $160,000 in student loan debts and a plan to get them completely forgiven. So, I mean, this is just a a lot of nuance in in today's episode. And I learned a tremendous amount. And I think Sammy comes out with a really great plan to achieve FI in a very achievable amount of time with a very, in a low stress way. You know, this is, this is a five-year to 10-year path to FI with, 32-hour work weeks. So great for her. And I think this is a really fun discussion. Yeah, I really enjoyed having Sammy on today. Before we bring her in, I have to read to you what my attorney makes me say. The contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice. And neither Scott nor I nor Bigger Pockets is engaged in the provision of legal tax or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants, regarding the legal, tax, and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. Okay, Scott, let's go tell Sammy what to do with her money. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. 
As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. Sammy is 31. She's single, has no kids, and has plans to stay this way. She makes a good salary, but is sitting on $166,000 in student loan debt. Sammy is doing well on the investing front, but would like to generate more income outside her job. She'd like to reach FI in four to five years, but feels like nine years is a more realistic FI date. Sammy, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm super excited to talk to you today. I am too. <laughs> so let's jump right into your situation. What part of the world do you live in? And what is your, let's look at your balance sheet, your net worth and your debts and expenses. Yeah, so I live out here in the Bay Area near San Francisco, California, um, and I'm working here as a physician assistant. I've been working at my job for about five years. Last year, I brought in 140k from my job, um, but I actually think this year I may be bringing in a little bit less, like 110k, because my company recently merged with another company, and they're no longer paying evening and weekend shift differential, which um, that's the shifts that I typically work. As far as what I bring in like month to month, most months I take home about $4,500 and that is after taxes and after my 401k. So I put about $1,700 a month into my 401k and then um, after taxes, then I have that $4,500. And then as far as debts go, um, like you said, I have the student loans, which are now at about 160K with like a 6.7% interest rate. I do have federal student loans. So right now they do qualify for the 0% interest. And so I don't have to pay anything. And I am doing the public service loan forgiveness program. So if I work at a nonprofit for 10 years, then my student loans will be forgiven after those 10 years. But I do have to pay like um, 15% of my income every year to participate in that program. But right now, because of what's going on, I actually don't have to pay. As long as I'm working at my job, it's still those months still count towards my public service loan forgiveness. So that's pretty cool. And I'm about in April, I will have four years left of the program. And then I also have a car loan with an interest rate of about 2.99. And the car loan, what I have left on it is $3,000. Awesome. And can you walk us through your expenses? 
Yes. So for my expenses, I have monthly expenses of about $1,200. Um, as far as my recurring bills go, usually I would have the student loan payment, which would be around $1,100. Um, I don't have that right now, like I said. But I otherwise have a car payment of $270. I have my Geico insurance bill for my car. That's like $85. Um, I do pay my phone bill, which is $50. My Chase Sapphire Reserve. It's an annual fee, but I break it down to by month because it's recurring. And that's would be like $12.50 a month. I have like a meditation app, which I pay eight, like $8. And then I have a PDF filler, which I pay like $8 for a month. I love that you have the annual fee as a monthly charge. That's great. <laughs> yeah, just like easier mentally for me to manage it then. <laughs> yeah, and then so those are my like recurrent expenses. And those now with COVID, because I'm not paying the student loans, would be like around 433 But then I also, of course, have other expenses, like my spending expenses. And I calculate that to be about 800 a month. If I broke those down, my top category is actually gifts, and it comes to about $230 a month. Then the next one is gas, which is about $100 a month. And that's even now, you know, I do work about 40 miles away from my job. And usually I go to work every single day, but now I work two days from home, two days in clinic, but I still, you know, I spend like a decent amount on gas. After that, it's groceries, which is about $70. Then I group hygiene and cosmetic together, which is about $70 a month. Then I have last, this is based on last year's spending. So my medical expenses were about $65 a month. Um, clothing, about $38 a month. Fast food, $31 a month. Auto expenses, like $25 a month, then household expenses, $14, and everything else is kind of like negligible after that. Yeah, you, you really got a lot of detail here, which is great. <laughs> and which tells me, which tells me this isn't really a problem area. I mean, you could you could cut out $70 here, $60 here, but it's not really the story. What we're hearing is outside of the student, if we, you know, if we ignore the student loan debt situation, you've got about $2,000 a month in after-tax spending. Is that right? Yes, I yeah, I got it to be around like thirty three hundred, but yeah, I think that's probably more correct. Is about two thousand. Yeah, well, thirty. Then we have we add in thirteen hundred for the student loans, and now you get to thirty three hundred. Oh yes, 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 um, yes, exactly. So the big bogeys of your situation are well, the big things to note about your situation are hey, we've got the student loan debt, which is a huge chunk of your monthly cash flow. Uh, if we put that there, and then housing situation long-term, is there any timeline or are you kind of like, like for, for what you're going to do with your housing? And you said you're living at home with your parents. Yeah, exactly. So right now I live with my parents and I've been living here since um, 2019. Before that, I was living in San Francisco and I was paying, you know, San Francisco rent. So I had like monthly costs that were closer to like 3,500 just on recurring bills. Um, so that has cut down a lot. Um, as far as like, how long am I going to be living with my parents? Uh, that's a good question. You know, I am like, I'm Indian, like that's my heritage. And it is more common for, you know, kids to live with their parents, even though for most of my adult life, I wasn't living with them. So they definitely, you know, see, they really enjoy having me here. And I think it's like a mutualistic relationship because in a way, you know, your parents, they're not going to be here forever. And I can help with things like taking them to the doctors and things like that. And at the same time, you know, they cook food a lot. So I've like a lot of my food costs are cut too. So it is nice. But with that said, you know, certainly like if they retired, I think they would move back to Charleston, South Carolina, and that would cut down. So then, you know, if they moved and I was still working, I would stay here. So 
projected. I don't know. I'm guessing maybe I live with them for like another few years, maybe more, maybe less, depending on what our situation is. Okay, Sammy, let's talk about investments. Have you made any investments? You mentioned the 401k. What else do you have going on, if anything? Yeah. So um, in total, I have like 205000 in investments. So in my old 401k, I have 147000 And then my company, when they merged, we have a 403b now. And I have about 6000 in there right now. I do have a Roth IRA with about 15000 And I have a post-tax brokerage account with about $36,000. Great. So you, you've got a lot of cash. If we ignored the student loan debt, we have a financial fortress here and a really good, you know, a really healthy savings rate. You've got a, a year of, of expenses saved up. You've got good kind of like what sounds like quality investments across both the brokerage and the 401k, which I think is awesome. Uh, so how recently did you get kind of on the FI journey or how, what, what was the, the switch for you with that? Yeah, that's a great question because I, it was very recently, like in, I guess, November, 2018. But before that time, I was very much not on the fire journey. <laughs> like sometimes I hear you guys say like, oh, I don't know how someone could spend that much money. I'm like, I do. Because <laughs> 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 I was definitely the type of person who would keep like, you know, at least if there's a few hundred in the checking account, that's good. And then the rest, you know, that's for me to do whatever I want with. And I was spending like all my money. And fortunately, I have a friend who I was visiting and um, she was doing all the things. She was house hacking. She was living in Austria. She was growing her own plants too um, for herbs and stuff. And I was at her place. I was like, what is going on here? Like a lot of like interesting, like financially savvy moves here. And then she told me about fire. And after that, I just like dived in hardcore. Okay, I think this will be important to our discussion later. I could be wrong, but but could you kind of walk us through some of the 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 moves that you did make and what that progression has looked like? Very high level overview. Yeah, like you mean like as far as like what changes I made? Yes. Yes. Um, so the first one is Mindy's favorite thing: tracking your spending. <laughs> that was definitely the most important thing. I mean, I started tracking my spending, and I remember I had a friend visit one weekend, and we had a lot of visitors then because you know we're not from the Bay. Area. I'm from Michigan originally, so I like a lot of people would visit like friends and stuff. And I remember um, that weekend I spent about four hundred dollars, um, and I was like, wow, I spent like four hundred extra dollars even though I was staying in the same place. You know, I didn't I didn't fly anywhere, I didn't have a hotel, and that just really made me appreciate that like all these things that I was doing were costing me money and. You know, not to say that I started like putting a value on things based on how much they were costing me, but to some degree I did. I'm like, you know, do I want to go to dinner all the time or just like maybe once every few weeks? And yeah, tracking my spending was a big thing that allowed me to kind of monitor that. Um, as far as like investments, you know, I was already investing in my 401k, but that just opened my eyes to like, you know, just the idea that you could have such a high savings rate. And I think before I was like, well, why would I have such a high savings rate? Because like, do I want like a really shiny coffin or something? And then after finding fire, I'm like, no, like this is all this savings is actually time. This is time that, you know, if for some reason, you know, I didn't want to work, I wouldn't have to work. And that really changed my perspective. Love it. And so were you at, were you, um, a physician's assistant this entire time. And I, I forget exactly how the timing of education works and how long it takes to get uh, into that. 
Yeah, it's a like it's a usually two and a half, three year program. And I graduated in like the end of 2014. So this would be my sixth year as a physician assistant. So I was a physician assistant then. So I was bringing in a decent income, but I was definitely spending it all. Okay. Well, love it. It sounds like there's a lot of progress that came over the last three years from that. And perhaps that's where much of your, what, what have you been doing with the student loan debt and investment decision um, over the last three years since you discovered FIRE? Yeah. So I will say as far as the student loans, that is one thing. Um, luckily, I did think about um, because when I first graduated, I kind of realized that I'm either going to have to pay this off aggressively or I'm going to have to do the public service loan forgiveness. Those would be my two most realistic options that would be most efficient. And I do think there's a part of me in my mind that like realized emotionally I was not going to put that much money towards the student loans because I did want to have a lot of fun, which I obviously did because, you know, I was spending all my income. <laughs> and it was kind of a good thing for me to be self-aware enough to realize that because then I did do the public service loan forgiveness, which now has ended up being really beneficial for me. Like my first year out from school, I only made $65,000 because I was doing a fellowship. So I was paying much less into the loan because my income was lower. And then now for the past year and a half, I haven't had to pay anything, but I'm still counting towards the public service loan forgiveness. So I think the decision really worked out for me, even if maybe my intentions were not so good in the beginning. Okay. And we, we've glossed over this for a few times here. What exactly are you talking about? So and you said four years left, somewhere in the, in the ballpark of, of a few years, portions of your loan or all of your loan will be forgiven. Is that is that the way to understand this? Right. Yeah. So after four more years, I will have completed 10 years of public service loan forgiveness. So 10 years working for a nonprofit and they will forgive all of my loan. And there's no like with certain types of forgiveness, there's like a tax penalty on that. But with this type of forgiveness, there's no tax penalty. So it'll be all forgiven. Okay. So why did your student loan balance go from 165 to 160? You, you mentioned that earlier because that gives the impression that this is a moving number, even though you're paying, you have 0% interest and it sounds like you're waiting for forgiveness. Yes. Yeah. So it moved probably like within the last three years, I would say. And the reason is because in the beginning, maybe my income was lower. So when I'm paying off my loan, I'm just barely paying the interest on the loan. So I'm like staying even as far as the loan amount. And now because my income's higher, even though I'm not deliberately trying to contribute more to the loan, it comes down more because the percentage is higher. Like the, the amount that I'm paying towards the loan is higher. Great. So I will say, I will chime in here and say that I don't even know what I don't know about uh, public service student loan debt forgiveness. So I'm really hesitant to discuss anything in detail there. And I'm just learning from you on this one. But it, what it sounds like is that you're making a very intelligent decision and this is the right way to approach it. If, you know, I'm just taking what you're saying for granted here that, hey, in four more years, $160,000 would just wiped out. Why would I pay more towards that when the nature of my work is that I've, I'm earning into a 10-year benefit and I'm almost done um, that seems to make a lot of sense to me. And now I understand your four-year FI timeline a lot better, I think, <laughs> than I did at the beginning of the of the call here. So um, is there anything you would add to that or that I would need to know? Or do you think you kind of got that? It's a, I would, you know, it sounds like you would know that one pretty well, given your situation and that being the, the giant elephant in the room. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm familiar. Like as far as the loans go, I feel pretty comfortable with my current plan. That's stuff I've looked up a lot. Okay, great. Yeah. 
I'm glad that Scott brought that up because uh, Scott and I are very different. I have never let the fact that I don't know about something stop me from talking about it and giving advice about it. I didn't um, either. Just I know. know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Scott doesn't know what he doesn't know. I know that I know enough just to be dangerous. But my sister-in-law is a speech therapist and she was on that same plan. And she hasn't been graduated long enough yet to have those loans be forgiven. But I know that there was a huge problem with the repayment loans and the or the the forgiveness plan for a while. And I did just look it up. It said that 57% of denied applications are rejected due to too few qualifying payments. It sounds like you've been making your regular payments the whole time, which is good. Yes. Yeah. I I did look up that statistic. And one thing is you can actually, you could submit monthly if you wanted to, to see if the months qualify. So it's qualifying by month. So let's say six months pass, you can submit paperwork to see if those months pass. So I'm guessing what happened with these people is they realized that they were working at a nonprofit for 10 years after not deliberately being part of the program. And then they submit the paperwork and then they don't qualify because you know, if you were deliberately trying to do the program, you, you would most likely know way before 10 years that you didn't qualify. Okay. But you've, it sounds like you've done the research and this is more for people who are listening, who are like, oh, maybe I would qualify. Look into it. You don't just decide you qualify. You don't just get to choose that you do it or you're paying for 10 years and then you say, hey, forgive the rest of my loans. And they're like, but you didn't sign up with us. So is there like a program, like you have to sign up and say, hey, I want you to forgive my student loans. Um, not in advance, but what you can do is, um, so you do have to be making a certain type of payment. It can't be like the standard payment. The standard payment is assuming you'd pay off your loans in 10 years. And sometimes those payments are lower than income-based payments for people. And that's the reason that those payments might not qualify. I would still try applying because there are some programs that are trying to help those people, but you should be part of like an income-based program an in- income-based payment. And um, if you want to see if you qualify, if you go to either the FAFSA website or I think even your loan servicer will often have the, it's like a one-page paper, you fill it out and then your HR department or someone at your work signs off saying that you have been working and then you can see if those payments qualify. Okay. And uh, I know that, uh, oh my goodness, Travis Hornsby from Student yes. Loan Planner has a lot of great information about this. I'm going to ping him and see if there's some uh, websites I can get for people or, you know, additional information because he does know what he's talking about. And we'll get this uh, because I really do want to help people pay off their student loans. I mean, how, when I first saw $166,000 and they're currently at zero interest and you're not paying on them, I'm like, oh, let's talk about that. Because right (laughs) now, if you do have 0% interest loans and you don't have any payments due on them, there's still an opportunity to really like pay them forward and just crank out all your money now. All your payment is going directly to the principal. You're not paying any interest on them. So you could get way ahead. My sister-in-law, I have another one who doesn't qualify for the student loan forgiveness. She is actually doing that so that she can get ahead. Um, I believe the program has been extended until September of this year. We're recording this in March of 2021. So until September of 2021 is the 0% interest. Um, So if you do have student loans right now and you do have income and you are able to pay them, now's the time to really crank those out, especially if you have these higher interest rate loans. Scott, what are you laughing at? You've got this Uh, laughing. I I just laugh. I'm laughing because like I I expected to 
to tackle that problem on this show. And it's like, oh. <laughs> all right, we don't have to, but like, we do have to tackle that problem on this show. So somebody come in with the finance review that has a similar situation to Sammy, but you don't qualify for the forgiveness. Um, and let's go into that and, and figure that out. Well, let's get, let's get back to Sammy's situation here. So, so I'm hearing, I discovered fire in 2018. I am almost 10 years into a student loan forgiveness plan, which seems to make sense uh, to me based on what, what I'm hearing here. And so my, my, the debt's going to get wiped out. You have basically no debt to speak of outside of that, besides your car loan of 3,300 bucks, which just speaks to a lot of responsible decision-making there. And looks like that's almost gone. So, you know, it, it, backing into a situation four years from now, the goal is how do I get as close as humanly possible to FI in four years, it sounds like. Maybe have my, my, my spreadsheet bottle says nine years, but how do we accelerate that? Is, that? is that kind of fundamentally the goal that I'm hearing from you? Yeah, that's, um, that's pretty similar. So, yeah, in four years, my student loans will be forgiven. And I don't realistically think I'll be, you know, FI at that time, maybe based on my current spending, but... I think I'd feel more comfortable with like one to 1.5 million to consider that my five number, even though my current spending is much lower, just because I do think my situation right now is a little bit abnormal. But my main thing is, you know, I know in four years when my loans are forgiven, I'll have the option to right now because I'm part of the program, you know, I do have to work at least 30 hours. So at that time, I'll have an option to like either go part time or maybe work only parts of the year or take a sabbatical. And I really would love the option just to take some like work less hours because, you know, I love my job, but it does like every four hours that I work, I'm probably going to have to put an additional hour in after work to like doing other things like following up with patients or, um, you know, refilling prescriptions and things like that. Um, so I would love to have just more time. So my biggest thing I think is what I'm thinking about is maybe having more, like, I don't know if I need more investments, more cash flow, like something to make me feel more comfortable if I didn't, like if I, if I want to work less pretty much. Okay. So, so there's four things you can do to generate wealth. One is get control of your spending. Check. Um, boxes checked there. You seem to be doing a great job with that. Um, the second is earning more income. The third is investing your assets for a better return. And the fourth is creating assets and businesses. If you want, we could probably walk through. A, a, do you have any ideas about where you want to go and want advice on, or do you want to kind of have an open-ended discussion about where to potentially begin looking? Yeah. I mean, one thing as far as um, creating assets go, me and my sister just started a podcast like called Status Post Adulting, and we're not making any income on that. It's just kind of like a passion project, but I'm like something like that. If it ever did monetize would be cool. And then another thing is, of course, I'm listening to your guys' podcast. So real estate is something I've been considering. Okay, great. So you have a, a side hustle um, that's just kind of in, in infancy stages right now. And you have mm -hmm. a um, the, the, the investing interest. Do you have the ability or desire to work more hours and get overtime, for example, as well? Or is that, is that not really something that you're, you're interested in? Yeah. I mean, that's actually a great question because I think last week or the week before my medical director came up to me and he was like, oh, you know, do you want to consider a promotion to be PA lead? And one thing is that would involve more administrative hours. And I already am doing some like meetings and stuff that are taking away from my patient care time. So I was like, well, you know, I, I would want to do that, but I don't want to cut into my patient time because it's already, I'm already cutting into my patient time. And he was like, well, you know, you work 32 hours right now. We could increase you to 36 hours or to 40 hours a week. And I, I like, I had to really think about it because, you know, that would 
come with a promotion. I don't know actually how much it would have been, but I what I did is I tracked my time for like two weeks to see, you know, where's my time actually going? And I realized, you know, I really don't want to take away from the things that I'm currently doing to invest more time in my current job. Okay. So what, what this tells me is, is two things. One, there is opportunity for you to earn more income as a backup if you ever really need that as the option if you exhaust other things. And two, 32 hours a week, it sounds like you will have time to devote to a side hustle or to alternate investing activities, and you clearly have the desire to do so. So it sounds like that's where you really want to explore with your time is is on these side investing and, and side business worlds. Is that right? Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> okay. Awesome. And I love that you tracked your time, right? That's the second resource here. You got money and you got time. You know, where where is your where is your time going and where are you spending it? Um, that's a great thing to do, not just at work, but in your personal life as well. Um, something to revisit. I probably should do that myself. Um, I haven't done that in a few months. So but but that's that's I love that. That's that's a huge lead indicator that that a lot of this is gonna go really well with that. Um Okay, so let's talk about your your real estate and and side hustle interests. Where do you want to start? Maybe start with real estate. Um, So, yeah, so I live in California, and I have no intention of investing here in the Bay Area. That would take up my whole net worth. Um, So, But I I am, I used to live in Michigan. Um, My parents have a home in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, and I used to live there. And I went to school in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I did a fellowship in Charlotte, North Carolina. And those areas seem a little bit better for investing, and I'm more open to like investing there. Do you have any sort of infrastructure in any of those cities? Like, do you have any friends who do property management or real estate agents who would be able to connect you with handyman, handy men? That sounds weird. With repair persons. Handy people. Handy no, people. <laughs> and like, do any of those cities, because those are all good investment cities as opposed to like San Francisco, where it's really difficult to cash flow. Um, all of those other cities that you listed are typically, well, you didn't state which one in Michigan, but Michigan's a good, it's the Midwest and the Midwest is a good cash flow area. So mm-hmm. Uh, those are all great cities, but I would not try to reinvent the wheel. If there's one person in one of those cities, I'd start in that one first. Yeah. Uh, my parents, you know, they have their home in Charleston, South Carolina, and um, I'm assuming they have a real estate agent there and contractors there as well. I know they did some work like on the kitchen and stuff. Um, so I think that would be the most likely area that I'd want to do, like somewhere near Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah, Charleston's hopping though. There, it might be. Uh, it's not as expensive as San Francisco, but it's. Uh, yes, yes, and and I'm definitely open to like probably anywhere in South Carolina because it's relatively still easy to get to. With the out of state investing, I, I, you know, I would just encourage you that, that that's a several hundred hour investment of time um, in learning about how to do that appropriately and and making the right connections and those types of things. And a trap that some investors fall into that we we've seen here on the show is, hey, I'm making 110, 130 thousand dollars a year. I'm going to buy a property that cash flows 200 dollars with a 25 thousand dollar investment, 200 dollars a month, right? That is an annoyance to you relative to your financial position. That that level of income, the ROI may be good over time, but that level of income is completely inconsequential and will be completely unnoticeable to you. So yeah. my, my advice to you would be to have a plan 
where you can buy multiple of those properties on a consistent basis to get to some level of meaningfulness over a period of years, rather than just buying one and, and, for, and setting it and forgetting it. Plan everything around how do I get in there, but then approach this in a scalable manner. And it's not about what my first property does. It's about what the 10 properties I purchase over the next five years do to get me a collective $200 a month times 10, 2000 you know, $3,000 in income. That would be a meaningful set of investments that would change your trajectory on your profile versus just one out of state in one random market would be my, my, my advice is, and, and look, that's a, that's a, there's, this is a, a new world with a lot of people trying out lots of different things and people have properties sprawling across a couple of different areas. But the tendency we see is that those tend to be confusing um, to a certain extent why is this work for military people, but not for Sammy? It's because the military folks are going into these different areas and buying with VA loans Mm -hmm. in markets that they know and have lived in and have a chance to set up infrastructure. So you're going to see, I would give, I think I would have a different story for a military person who will have a sprawling portfolio because they get at their, they get stationed at different duty stations. But for you, my, my advice would be to encourage, encourage you to pick a market invest consistently and make that a meaningful investment over time. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I think definitely what's been keeping me from considering real estate is just the fact that I already had so much debt. Um, Now that like, I feel like I at least have a positive net worth, I feel like a little bit more better about thinking about real estate. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost. So combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. Well, let's look at your student loans for a second again. How much of that is going to, let's, you get to your 10 years, you've done all of the 
payments and you've, you know, you've, you've done everything to get it forgiven. When they forgive it, they just wipe out the whole balance. Is that how that works? Okay. So that's really, you just said, oh, I had all this debt. I wouldn't really consider that all this debt because you're on that forgiveness plan. Is there any way to check in with the forgiveness program to make sure that you're on the right track? Have you done that? And you you know that you're on the right track. And I'm not like questioning you. I'm just making sure that that you're doing it right. Cause that, I mean, that's a huge amount of money that you're counting to be removed. But once that's gone, I mean, your shoulders are going to be up here. It's just going to yes. be like, ah. <laughs> I'm excited for that day. <laughs> <laughs> so I like what Scott said. I think he's right. Focusing on one market. And because you have so many, I can see how tempting it would be to be, oh, Michigan, I know somebody there. And oh, South Carolina, because I have ties there. And, and you know, South Carolina is a great market, the Charleston market. And I'm looking, I just jumped on Zillow really quickly to see what listings are there. And I'm seeing $250,000, $300,000 listings. And um, I'm assuming that they rent out for enough that it would cash flow. So that's, I mean, that's where your parents are already. That would be a good market to start looking into. Reach out to their real estate agent and have her or him, sorry, being sexist, have that person send you listings and see what's on the market, see what sort of rents you're getting. And if that agent doesn't work out, if that agent isn't somebody who does a lot of investments, um, you can find a real estate agent at biggerpockets.com slash agents. That's agents with an S on the end. And that's a great place to find an investor focused real estate agent. I also want to look at your investments that you currently have. You mentioned a 403B. Mm -hmm. That is a government plan, if I'm correct? Yes. Yeah, it is. Um, And they're kind of notorious for having high fees, but I will say I did look into it and ours actually doesn't have high fees and they do have index fund options that are not like actively managed. And it's actually better than our previous 401k as far as fees go. So it's solid in that way. Hooray. Do you have a 457 option? Not right now. They were considering doing that, but not right now. Okay. And I think we need to bring Kyle Mass back on, Scott, to talk about when is it best to choose a Roth plan versus a traditional plan. You have a decent amount of income. I'm wondering if the Roth would be a good option for you. In the, Do you have a Roth option in the 403B? From what I heard, no. Well, I think we can do it instead of doing the like pre-tax, um, but I don't know how much we can do in addition to, because I know that some places you can do like an additional Roth investment on top of the 401k. And I think we aren't able to, or there's like a limit to how much we can do. Will you will you work when you hit five? Do you think that you'll continue to do that uh, on, a, on a long-term basis? I do think I'll most likely work at least part-time or, you know, being a PA, there's like the option to do locum. So where you work a few months a year, I think I would do either of those. Okay. The, re- the reason I, I ask that is because in your case, you're in a pretty good income in a high-tax state and the 401k is clearly going to be saving you a lot of money on taxes right now. If you go through your journey and have a large number of low-income years ahead of you mm-hmm. because- that's that's your goal and that's what you're going to do. The 401k makes a lot of sense because you just roll over or, or you do the Roth conversion um, in those years after you hit five or even in between if, if you're, you know, 
in five years you're sitting at 750 and you decide to take a little later load for a year or two, um, that would be a, that would be a good case for the 401k. And it just comes down to knowing yourself, knowing myself. Um, while it's possible I have a year like that. I believe they will be really few and far between for me in my career, just because of the nature of what I do. And, you know, I always have some side project that may generate a lot of income. And so for me, I put almost everything into the Roth at this point, the Roth 401k, um, which we have, which is offered through our workplace. But depending on what you know about yourself and what your kind of timeline will look like and journey, maybe that's helpful context in helping kind of paint that picture, make that decision. Yeah, that's really helpful to know. I mean, I hadn't really considered a Roth until this year when I was like, oh, wow, like most of my investments are pre-tax. And then I was like, well, I don't know what to do from here. So that's a good thing to consider. And I'll definitely think about that. Yeah, that was a good point about the high tax state, Scott. Uh, yeah, any any dollar you can save on taxes is better in your pocket than Uncle Sam's. Uh, that's my personal opinion. But you're going to need, you're going to need after tax outside of the 401k and the Roth within the next four to nine years, depending on how things go, uh, in order to retire early or have that option. So you've got to begin baking those out. It sounds like you've got a lot of post-tax investments right now, but still it looks like that's like, that looks like that around 40 K, which is about one third to one fourth of what you got in the, in the 401 K. And so, yeah, I think, I think it's time to start thinking about how do I, how do I deploy my cash and, in general, begin really boosting that after-tax, immediately accessible net worth that I can spend uh, in order to achieve my goal. Because I think, I think, in spite of the, the 160k in student loan debt, we've, we've, heard, we've heard that story. You're in a really good situation to to have a good, to good, a fighting chance at this in the next um, five, six years, four, five, six years. Yeah, I want to talk about your Roth IRA balance now. It's a sub ten thousand dollars which is it's still, it's great that you have any money in there. I'm not sure you're ever going to reach with, you don't want to work 5,000 hours a week. You might not reach the cutoff for contributions to the Roth IRA, but I just really love a Roth IRA for younger people because it has so long to grow. You pay taxes when you pull it, put it in. You don't pay any taxes when you pull it out. And with you know, 20 or 30 years of growth time, you could have an enormous balance in that Roth IRA that could fund until you need to start taking out from the 401k. So I would like to see more contributions in there if you've just got money lying about, you know, you're waiting to put it in there somewhere. We're waiting to deploy it someplace. I like the Roth IRA there. Do you have any match with your company? Um, yes, I have 4% match. Oh, nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, are you maxing out your 401k every year? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Perfect. Let's see. I had one other question. Oh, oh, oh. Back to the promotion to PA lead. That mm-hmm. isn't what you want long-term, but I would be interested to see what that pays versus what you're making now, because that could be a significant jump for an extra four hours of paperwork that might help propel you down the path towards financial independence a lot faster or help you get to the down payment for your first rental property or your second rental property. And if you could, you know, if it's going to be like a dollar an hour more, forget it. That's not worth it. But if it's a significant jump, that could be something that you do for a couple of years. And then, Scott, I'm not really... Like, I've never been concerned about my career, so I don't worry about, like, stepping back. But 
What sort of implications would there be to take the promotion and then say, okay, I'm done. I don't want to do that anymore. It's rare that someone takes a promotion and then walks back successfully. It's not unheard of, but it is, it is rare. Um, so it is, you know, I, I would view it as kind of like a, there's probably no going back, but it does happen from time to time. It sounds more like that the trade-off will be in the here and now with your lifestyle and those types of things. And you don't need to do that to get to FI in a reasonable period of time. If you're if you're here saying, I want to go all out aggressively and make this happen in four years, you have a clear answer to this question. But that's not what I'm hearing from you. I'm hearing I saved thirty five on a bad year uh, easily, maybe closer to fifty thousand after tax and after maxing out my four hundred one k on an annualized basis. And I'm looking to deploy that slightly better and. If I get there in four or five years, because one of my things I like to do takes off, great. If I get there, if I don't, it'll be nine years and I'm good to go. Um, yeah. So like, I don't, I don't, I, that's what I'm hearing from you. But um, yeah, if you want to, if you were like, how do I get there as fast as possible? That it's like, take the promotion and the money uh, and work as many hours as you can, because this is, this is, uh, you just, you can just crank it out and turn the dial and move and probably jack your income closer to 200 uh, if you were really ambitious about it in this situation. Um, I don't know, but maybe that's a bold statement, but that's kind of how I'm assessing it right from here. From here. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's correct, Scott. I would say that's right. Okay, good. I wanted to bring up the counterpoint because, you know, not everybody who is listening is on the slower path. Some people really do want to just crank it out. If you want to crank it out, take every dollar you can get and crank it out. But you know there are there is something to be said for for going the slow route and after my husband and i reached financial independence he's like wow i wish we, really wish we would have gone slower i'm like wow too bad your wife never said anything like hey stop <laughs> yeah i mean i i i went all out for 5 6 years in this journey and guess what? That works. You know, I, I house hacked. I was able to, to jumpstart my income. I have multiple side projects and that kind of stuff. But it was all out. It was a complete lifestyle and work commitment. And that's great. And that's how you, you know, get really rich in five years from a standing start. But it's not, you don't need to do it in your situation. Uh, it would be a complete lateral move. And I don't, I don't think it's necessary. So from what I'm hearing or desired. So you're going to, you're going to be pretty wealthy in five, six years with what you're doing. And like, man, you're going to have, you're, you're working 32 hours a week versus the 85 or whatever that I was putting in on a regular basis across all my work and all my other projects. I, I would, this is a, this is a better approach um, <laughs> from, from, your, from your seat. You could probably increase your odds and in, dramatically in, 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 of getting there in two, three, four years. But I, I don't know. This is a good discussion, I think. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because I think that's kind of how I was thinking about it without like explicitly stating that. It's like, I know I could be super aggressive and then I would definitely take the promotion and then I would be able to hit five sooner for sure. Or I can have more time for myself and work on stuff that I want to work on. And then I I would have more quality of life, I guess. Yeah, I I think that's a much more balanced and appropriate approach here. Let's talk about your podcast real quick. So I, I, you may not know this, but we, we also run a podcast here at Bigger Pockets, a couple of them. Um, and let me just tell you about the unit economics of podcasting. 
So uh, not to scare you, but just give you kind of a, a grasp of reality with this. Like when we record this show, we have a software that we use. You can use Zoom or whatever. So you, you can always change some of these costs. Somebody, we have to select the guests through an application process where time and, and energy or money is being expended to find great people like Sammy. Um, then somebody has to edit the audio for this podcast. Someone has to select a title for the podcast. Someone has to transcribe the podcast. Someone has to cut and edit the podcast and produce social media clips and those types of things. And so I would estimate that the cost of production sustained over time for a podcast such as ours is about $500 per episode. Now you can offset some of that with advertising, but maybe you get... um, Oh and, oh, and then by the way, the, the hosts uh, like generally like to get payment in some form for their services uh, over time. Um, you some, uh, if, if you're the owner, that would be through ad revenue, but you'd have to say, okay, great. In order to make money on this podcast, I will have to generate somewhere in the ballpark of $500 just to cover the cost of operating the podcast over a long period of time. And, and I'll do that myself or I'll skip parts of that production process or whatever. But now you're just trading your very high skill labor, which is $50, $60 an hour at the very minimum as a physician's assistant, um, you're doing the work of, of some, of, of, of labor that is really 10 to $15 an hour in many cases across parts of that production pipeline. So just know that that's, that's, that's a trap that a lot of podcasters I think fall into over time is they discount those costs by doing it all themselves. And therefore they're doing several, you know, four, five, six hours of labor per podcast each time or having to pay somebody else to do that, which is sucking money out of your your portfolio. So just understand like, hey, I'm going to have to get to a certain amount of listeners just to break even on this podcast. And then I'm going to have to actually sell a spot or a sponsorship to make that happen. So this is not to scare you away from that. It's just to kind of give you a framework to think about the cost benefit of running a podcast over time. And I, I believe that that break-even point is somewhere in the ballpark of 10,000 listens per episode of your of your podcast over time. Yeah. I mean, that's what it seems like from what I've been looking at too. It's like, it's not very easy to monetize on podcasts and it's definitely a lot of work. I think one thing with me and my sister with our podcast is it's like a time we get to spend together. We pick a topic, we get to research that topic. It's mm-hmm. kind of enjoyable for us. And I will say like, I'm when I was tracking my time, I'm like, we're putting in like 16 hours a week on the podcast. And it's more like monetizing on something I'm doing anyway, because I enjoy it rather than, you know, making a podcast to monetize on it. Great. Okay. Well, then that's wonderful. So this, this could be a a good boost for you guys over time, or it could be a little bit of a a time or or money um, there, but I think that's perfect. If you're viewing it as a hobby, that's great. It could make money. But and I'm happy to to discuss that as much as you'd like offline, if you have, or if you have any questions here um, about that, um, we we obviously uh, do do this as part of our business <laughs> here at Bigger Pockets. So I I I, um, I I just wanted to kind of give you that framework around um, profitability of a, of a podcast in particular. Now now the podcast can also support other parts of your business, like for example, our podcast supports the rest of Bigger Pockets, where we have pro memberships and books and other advertising and conferences and those types of things. So um, there are, are lots of opportunities out there. I just again wanted to give you that framework as one of those. It's possible, but it's it's a little challenging, and it will take several years to get I think to that break even point um, for the podcast. 
Yeah. And I like, I appreciate you saying that, especially since, you know, I'm obsessed with your guys' podcast <laughs> and I listen to every episode and I'm guessing a lot of people listen to it too. And to know that, you know, even with a really successful podcast, it can take a long time to even notice, you know, like to monetize pretty much. Or to yep, be, absolutely. We, we, we like this because it's fun. It helps people. It's rewarding. And it, it makes, it makes enough money to sustain um, the podcast, but this is not really the the profit center for bigger pockets by Eddie Beats here. I did want to ask you guys about real estate. Um, so I have like 68,000 or like, I guess 69,000 in savings right now. And I will, I'm trying to like, I'm thinking if I did invest in real estate and it was like maybe a hundred, two hundred thousand $200,000 property, like what do you guys recommend putting down if you kind of want to, I don't know. I mean, I just am really hesitant to like accumulate a lot of debt pretty much. So is your goal to pay it off as soon as possible? The rental property? That was what I was thinking my goal would be. Although I guess um, that might not be very useful. Well, if and here's me getting going into min-maxing and, and, and going all this stuff. But like, if I'm, if I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm backing into a date if I'm in your situation, right? And I'm saying, hey, what is it? Is it going to be four years? Is it going to be five years? Is it going to be six years? Is it going to be nine years? But like, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's seven, maybe pick one and say it's seven years. The goal is how much cash flow and wealth can I get from my real estate portfolio in year seven, right? And, and, and that's where, and if you kind of approach it with that mentality, that can answer a bunch of those questions, or that may not be the goal. The goal may be, I don't really know what my timeline is. And I just want to get safe, conservative, diversified investments here and just keep stacking up at 50,000 a year. And I'll, I'll take a lower ROI, but for more better, you know, sleeping better at night and being better capitalized with less debt or more, more reserve. So depending on your answer to that question, you kind of have two approaches. One is the, Hey, I'm going to put down as much as possible and then, and then just pay it off. Uh, and then I'll have a, a, a cash flow machine for that one property. And I'll, I'll just repeat that one or two times and be sitting pretty, or I'm going to buy as much property as I can with the lowest amount down leverage, um, aggressively and back into a seven year time frame. And at that point, appreciation and my debt pay down will will kick in and I'll be at this really great level of cash flow in seven years, coinciding with my other FI activities um, and helping me out there. So that's like a very high level framework from coming there and that can be, but any reaction to that? Yeah. I mean, I actually had never thought of it like that and I appreciate you breaking it down like that. And definitely the first one (laughs) where it's paid off and it's like a cash flowing property versus like leveraging a ton. Great. Well, in that case, you say, hey, if I bought a $200,000 property, then you're going to have to put down 25 per, you're going to have to put down 15% if it's a single family rental and you're going to have or up to 25 you're gonna, a minimum of 25% if it's a 2 3 or 4 unit property so you're already putting down 50,000 which is a huge chunk of your cash and the rest has really got to be left over for reserve in your personal life and business so you're kind of um, maxed out if you're buying a 2 3 or 4 unit at the 200,000 mark you probably can get away with a little less in the and the, the single family mark but um i don't know is that is that does that answer your question? For yeah, that's really helpful, actually, because that kind of gives me a timeline of like, okay, I wouldn't buy a property now because I know that would eat up like all my cash. But maybe mm-hmm. if I'm thinking like in one year or in two years, I want to buy start buying properties, I'll save up, you know, X amount and then I can start putting a reasonable amount down and I can feel comfortable that I'm, 
you know, investing in a property without like completely depleting my cash. Yeah. And, and if your goal is to pay the property off earlier, which is, which is not my goal, but I would employ a totally different strategy potentially. And that's where like the, the 15 year mortgage comes in, which is Mindy's, the bane of Mindy's existence uh, with the lower interest <laughs> rates there. And just kind of like firing away at paying that off. It, it's going to be a lower return investment, but it will be, it'll be a cash flowing one that will help you sleep at night. Okay. Very good. That's helpful. Yeah. And another option for the mortgage is the 30 year that you pay more on. So if you, uh, the 30 year mortgage has a, a lower monthly payment, you can make more additional payments to the principal. And I reached out to my lender, John, and he said that if you get the 15-year loan, you pay it off in 15 years. If you get the 30-year loan, you pay it off in 30 years. If you get the 30-year loan, but you make the 15-year loan payment, you're paying it off in something like 16 years and eight months. Mm. So you have the flexibility. You're only adding like almost two years to your repayment. But then if your roof goes out and your air conditioning goes out and you need to buy a new refrigerator all in the same month, you can pull back on your payments a little bit. Um, I like the 30-year loan for the flexibility, but I'm also not looking to pay off my mortgage. So just something to think about. You can always pay a 30-year loan off sooner. You can't pay a 15-year loan off later. So, you know, when you're comparing rates, and right now, I mean, the difference in rates is so negligible that it's 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 really the the just the length of time that contributes to your massive larger payment with the 30 year loan if you pay it off in 30 years in fact i should pull these numbers up cuz i'm just I, I always make people things. uncomfortable with the way my my mind works on this kind of stuff but it, basically another way of thinking about what Mindy just said is you got to be 85 90 plus percent sure that you are going to pay it off early in order to go with the 15-year mortgage, which is a really high probability. I'm very rarely 90% sure about anything um, in my life. So, you know, but I'll, I'll, bet, on, I'll bet on things that, are, that I need to with that. But you got to be real sure um, that it's, it's the paying off to go with the 15 yeah, I like that because like if something happens in your life where, you know, you are not able to make the payments or it would be a struggle, you know, you have the option to not be so aggressive. Yep. Um, any other things that like that you wanted to get to, you wanted us to get to here? I think we're making some good good progress. I think those are my big things actually. Like I we really covered them and I feel like I have a much better plan. Like because I think my idea with real estate was so vague. And I was like, should I be doing that right now? And like, if something happened right now where the prices dropped, should I be buying something right now? Now I know like, okay, you would be spending all your cash. So like, wait until you have more cash. I feel like I have a better plan now. So I like that a lot. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay. So my lender, John Lalonde from Cross Country Mortgage, sent me a note that said, on a $500,000 purchase, assuming 25% down and good credit, because your credit will definitely affect your rate. Uh, and these were rates a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, and this show is going to be released later. This this is just an example. This is not a quote. But he said a 30-year loan is 3.375. A 15-year loan is 2.75. Those are fabulous rates. Um, just in general, a 3.375 is an amazing rate. I don't even have a 3.375. Uh, so the, the 30-year principal and interest payment is $1,658 a month. 
the 15 year is $2,545 a month. Mm -hmm. So that's like 800-ish dollars more every month that you're making the payment for. Your total paid over 30 years with a 30-year loan is $596,829. Your total paid over a 15-year loan is $458,069. So that's like $132,000 difference in interest that you're paying. Um, And then he went further and said, fun fact, if you kept the 30-year option, but made the 15-year payment, you would only be adding one year and eight months to your mortgage. So just, I love the flexibility and you can always make more payment. That's saying that you get the 30-year, but you make the the $2,500 a month, 15-year payment. You could pay $3,000 a month if that's what you wanted, if you had extra sitting around. Um, I just, I love the flexibility of the 30-year loan. And are you going to own the property for 30 years? I've never owned a house for more than six in my mm-hmm. whole life, but I'm a mover, so... I do that live-in flip where I'm moving every couple of years. My parents have never owned a house for more than five or six years either. So that's, you know, I come from movers. But there's other people who live in the same house their whole life. I mean, Warren Buffett's lived in his house since, what, the 80s? So, you know, not everybody moves around. Yeah, that was, that was I think that was a really helpful description of, like, the different options because I could see how, like, with my mentality, I'd be like, oh, you know, I just want to get it paid off. But then... I'm, I'm, I'd be taking a huge loss by not considering doing the 30-year, but just paying it off faster. Yeah. And I think you have enough money in savings to start looking at the market. And right now is, frankly, a ridiculous market. Everything is, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say everything. Most markets have an extremely short supply. So there are people who are trying to take advantage of the interest rates. They have to move there. There's people who are looking for just investments and they don't care what the money return is. So right now may not be the best time for you to buy a property, but it's always a good time to start learning the market. Talk to somebody in Charleston, South Carolina. Talk to somebody in Michigan. Talk to somebody in North Carolina. Talk to somebody in Knoxville. And maybe Knoxville makes the most sense for you. Or maybe South Carolina does make the most sense for you. See what the markets are looking like. Wow, I have to buy, I have to pay $300,000 in the Carolinas. But in Knoxville, it's one fifty, dollars and I can get in, in in a similar cash flow. That might be a better choice. So right now is a great time to start looking for a market. And, yeah. you know, analyzing the market and see what houses are renting for. And, you know, maybe a fabulous house comes on the market and you can jump because you are prepared. But if you're not prepared and a fabulous house comes on the market, you might be timid. What do you say, Scott? Prepare, calmly prepare to act aggressively. That's right. <laughs> so, a wise man. <laughs> <laughs> so now is the time to calmly prepare. I think this was a lot of fun. I think we looked at a lot of things. Um, did you have any other questions for us or did you have any other items that you wanted us to look at or you wanted to discuss? Those were my main questions and you guys really answered them. I mean, I think the biggest thing for me was I kept feeling this pressure to look at real estate and, but at the same time feeling anxious about whether that's going to deplete my cash savings. And now I have a better idea. You know, if I wait one or two years, I'm going to have, I'm going to be in a better position, but then also, like you said, Mindy, to start looking at the market. So I'm at least familiar. And if something comes up earlier, I can invest earlier. Or even if I wait till one or two years, I'm going to be very knowledgeable about what's normal. 
that's about as perfectly said as we could ever do. So I'm going to leave it at that. Scott, do you have any final thoughts? No, this is great. I, I think you're in a really good situation. I think you're, you know, when you walked in with your numbers on a piece of paper without knowing the context, you know, four years is a little aggressive, but I think, I think <laughs> that uh, given what you talked about with the, the student loan situation and a lot of your great habits, it could be as early as four years. It may be longer with those types of things, but I think you're making all the right choices. Your fundamentals are really sound. And I completely respect and love the decision to not put the foot all the way down on the accelerator and try and try to move this forward. I think you've, you got a great, what it sounds like is a great quality life now and can reach Phi within five to 10 years easily. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. I mean, I listen to you guys all the time. So I think just the opportunity to come and talk to you guys in person and get advice like on my personal finances is just absolutely amazing. I mean, it's just been a great experience. Sammy, thank you for coming on the show today and for sharing your information and your numbers. I think it's going to be really helpful for people who are maybe in some point on their student loan repayment journey thinking or assuming that they would qualify for that repayment plan. Um, We're going to get to talk to Travis Hornsby and get some good resources, and we'll share those in our show notes, which can be found at biggerpockets.com slash moneyshow186. But thank you so much for sharing today. It was lovely to talk to you, and thank you for listening to the show. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. And we will talk to you soon. Have a good day. Okay, that was Sammy. Scott, what are your impressions of Sammy's path to financial independence? I I thought it was great. I think um, she started with getting control of her spending. And that, you know, I I love it. There's that moment in time when you discover FI, and then you get really serious about all all of this stuff. And then a couple of years go by, you optimize, you optimize, you optimize, and you get on this this path eventually, if you're you're a a full-time worker, where it kind of gets boring, right? Every month she saves three, four, five thousand dollars and and hers is still a little exciting because there's a couple of big moving parts like her 401k and a couple of little ideas to crystallize around how much she wants business or real estate investing to be part of her portfolio. But those are going to crystallize for her within the next two years for sure. And it will just be a, a month after month grind to financial independence. And the good what I love about the the, the word grind conjures up this, you know, horrible years long, you know, meat and potato, you know, beans and and rice diet and all this other kind of stuff. Her grind is going to be about as pleasant a grind as you're ever going to, ever going to see because of the 32 hour work weeks, the great living situation, um, and all, all the other good stuff that she's doing. And it's just a simple, she tracks her money. She tracks her time. She makes value oriented decisions on both. And wow, what a refreshing discussion around that. I, I, I loved it. I think she's making a, a, a great set of choices and in a really good spot. Yeah, I think she has a huge future ahead of her and she's just killing it. Okay, should we get out of here, Scott? Let's do it. From episode 186 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is Scott Trench and I am Mindy Jensen saying, move out, Brussels sprout. Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests 
who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions.